When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Mr. Snow, after everything you've seen out there in the world, what are The Hunger Games for? Are you, are you coming to the tree? The Hunger Games, they're to punish the districts. Those tributes don't have a choice. Your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. We're live! Smile. It's why we have teeth. Imagine it was your name that they pulled. Strange things didn't happen here. I just want to know that somebody still cared about me. That I was still of value. Welcome to the capital. You look like you shouldn't be here. I shouldn't, but I'm your mentor. A rebel. I am gonna get you out of here. You want to protect people, then it's essential to accept what human beings are and what it takes to control them. See you use that famous snow charm. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and the story is as follows. Years before he becomes the tyrannical president of Pan Am, 18-year-old Corleone Snow remains the last hope of for his fading lineage. With the 10th annual Hunger Games fast approaching, the young Snow becomes alarmed when he is assigned to mentor Lucy Gray Bird from District 12. Uniting their instincts for showmanship and political savvy, they race against time to ultimately reveal who's a songbird and who's a snake. The film is starring Tom Blythe, Rachel Zegler, Josh Andreas Rivera, Hunter Schaefer, Jason Schwartzman, Peter Dinklage, and Viola Davis. It is directed by Francis Lawrence, and it is and it is written by Michael Leslie and Michael Arndt. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Lauren LaMagna. Enjoy the show. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And joining us as a guest here on the show for the first time, we have Katie Luxford, everybody. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us all the way from across the pond over in the UK. Oh, no problem. It's very dark here right now. <laughs> but not to mention, no, The Hunger Games is a global phenomenon. It is a widespreading franchise that had a very successful series of books and series of films uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence a couple of years ago, starting off with the first Hunger Games uh, film that was released in 2012 and concluded in 2015 with Mocking Jay Part 2. Now, 
Most seem to agree that the first two films are excellent, with the second film, Catching Fire, being the best. And there have been some mixed reactions on the Mockingjay films, especially the decision to split up that book into two films, part one and part two. Uh, here we are now with The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. We all thought we were out of this world uh, from Suzanne Collins, but she created this other book, uh, which we knew at some point would probably be adapted. It is a prequel to The Hunger Games and uh, basically goes into the rise of President Snow, who would become the series' villain. Uh, so this is like typical, I think, standard uh, storytelling we've been seeing a lot in Hollywood, especially with previous existing IPs. Sometimes they'll take a very interesting character, a villain of sorts, and they'll want to explore their backstory. And so there's a bit of humanization that goes into it, but also in a, a chance to maybe dive into the world a bit more, explore the themes on a deeper level. Francis Lawrence, uh, who previously directed the... Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and the Mockingjay films, not the first film. Uh, he has returned here to direct this film as well. What do we think of it? I mean, it's very interesting how mixed the reception has been overall, but I'm curious to know what you all thought. Starting off first with Lauren LaMagna. Lauren, what did you think of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds, and Snakes? Well, I'm going to start off with saying that I'm pretty sure I am in the perfect um, age group for this story. I found the trilogy when I was in middle school and I'm pretty sure I was late to that because all of my friends read it and I really loved the trilogy I loved all of the books I think it's a pretty solid adaptation with the franchise with the film adaptations as well I think across the board it's pretty solid even though you know some films are better than others so I really enjoy the themes I think it's very accessible for young people I also think it's very entertaining for older audiences and I think it ages really well I didn't read this book because I just wasn't interested in um, humanizing, I guess, such a horrible villain that was President Snow. So I kind of went into this movie pretty blind. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know anything about the other characters besides President Snow. So I was really interested to see what was going to happen. And I will say that I was pretty entertained for the most part. I think this is a very long movie. I think maybe... Um, it might have been better. No, if no, this no, film... Nope. Don't don't say it should have been split into two parts, Lauren. <laughs> okay, We've already fine. been down this road. <laughs> I'm just. It, this is a long movie. I'm okay. I'll just say that it's a very long movie. Um, <laughs> maybe too long for me, but I do think that the world building, especially in this film, is pretty fantastic. I love coming back into this world that um is still trying to find its identity. We just are entering a phase of Pan Am that doesn't really know what it stands for, especially when it comes to the capital and the games. And seeing um, kind of the birth of the Hunger Games um, at this point in time was really fascinating and really interesting. But um, as far as the characters go, I don't fully buy um, President Snow's rise, I guess. So we'll dive into that later. But Overall, I'm really impressed with, you know, the scope of the film, the production design of the film. And I think with a world that still doesn't really know what it stands for, that really elevates the stakes of the film. So I think this is probably one of the most violent versions of, you know, the Hunger Games and Pan Am. And I was honestly really excited to be back in this world. Okay. Katie, let's move over to you. What did you think of the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? Um, so like Lauren, I was pretty much in exactly the right age range when these books came out and when the films, the original film started. 
Um, I also didn't read this book. Um, it kind of just wasn't on my radar until uh, this film was uh, starting its kind of marketing. I found this entertaining to a point. I did enjoy it, but I think that after the games themselves ended, there was some momentum issues with the film where it really started to drag for me and then kind of became a very rushed ending. I also really loved the world building. I thought it was, I thought it did a really great job of setting up this world in a different time. So it still felt different from what we were used to. And I felt felt like I was learning more about the world. But yeah, I definitely had some issues with it. Okay. Yeah. I think that uh, other people feel similar as well. Josh Parham, I don't think you and I have ever had a single conversation about this franchise before. <laughs> so I have no idea what you're about to say. What did you think of this? Well, when it comes to the franchise as a whole, uh, I did uh, read the books myself. Uh, I was out of high school by the time those books came out, though, so maybe didn't hit me in quite the same way, but I still enjoyed them. And I think that the first movies in this franchise kind of go a bit up and down for me. Like, my feeling is always that the first movie is okay, it's not great. The second film is basically the first movie again, but just done so much better. And I feel like Mockingjay would have been good if they had just made one movie instead of two and just stalled all that momentum. So, like it's like I said, very up and down for me with this franchise. But overall, I do enjoy it, and I do enjoy those characters. And I think when you tackle a prequel that comes with a lot of baggage, because I don't think many prequels are very good, but you know, I, I walk into every movie hoping to really enjoy it. And I would say that there are parts of this particular film that are really enjoyable. And I think especially in the like first half, two thirds, I would say, mostly when we're on like the birth of the Hunger Games as we know it in the other movies. And I found that watching that process was pretty engaging, like not great still at the same time, but I still found it to be a pretty captivating story that they were telling. But I do think that there's a switch that happens that feels like it is another movie. I, I know you were sort of warning about it, Matt, but this does feel like they took two movies and tried to make one story out of it. And I feel like it is bloated. And it also feels like the back half just is rushing through a lot of stuff with character and plot that just feels like we needed more time to sit with. And I found myself being very frustrated by the storytelling at, at that point and ended up really not caring for the film that much uh, by the end of it. So th there are some good things here in it. I do think that the performances, for the most part, are, are pretty solid across the board, and there's some good uh, set pieces. But just as an overall package, I found it to be trying to cram too much in in this time frame and I couldn't really get a good handle on on the the impact of what the story could have on me. So I I did walk out feeling a bit underwhelmed by it. Okay, I want to preface by saying I have never read the books in this franchise. I've only ever seen each movie one time. And that was at the time of each of their releases. I'm just not a massive fan of this franchise. Then again, I don't consider myself to be the target audience. Um, with that said, if I were to 
give some context here to my ratings of the original films. I would give the first Hunger Games film a 7 out of 10. Catching Fire, I thought was exhilarating and just like you said, Josh, expanded upon the first film and did it so much better. Gave gave that an 8 out of 10. I was really impressed by that film. And then the Mockingjay movies came out and it was like such a step down in quality for me. Um, Part 1, I gave a 5 out of 10. And part two, I gave a four out of ten. So my expectations heading into this were not really high. I really only like it's interesting because the Mockingjay films to me just left such a sour taste in my mouth. And I was just glad that the franchise was over at that point. Um, I really do wish that they had just simply condensed it into one movie and made it as long, if not longer than this. I would have been so much more, I think, pleased with the overall uh, experience. And not to mention, it's just so hard for me to, like a, like, a, like a really, really bitter pill to swallow to look back knowing that that was the last time we would see Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. Even though he supposedly enjoyed the experience of making that movie and liked what like, was proud of his work, I, I just, you know, I wanted a better send-off for him. May he rest in peace. So heading into this movie, <laughs> and Lauren saw it with me, so she knows I was just like kind of ambivalent towards the whole thing and didn't really care so much. So when it starts off with these giant IMAX visuals and really setting the stage for bringing us back into the world of Pan Am and giving us like this really um, dark, gritty prologue opening, I, I I immediately found myself kind of drawn back in into the world building. I think that's always been these movies' best uh, attribute has been the immersion into the production design, the costume design, the rules of the world, and exploring how this dystopian uh, society is one that can uh, infer a lot about our own and where we're possibly heading as a society. And I think there's a lot of really interesting learns from that that one can apply. So compared to other like YA novels out there, especially, uh, you know, if, if, if before this franchise we had the Twilight franchise, I would say that these movies in general have been a massive upgrade, and I definitely think there's more value to be found in them. Uh, So with Hunger Games, uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, it took me a little bit of easing into. Um, I really started to settle into it in the second act when the Hunger Games themselves uh, started back up. And even though we've seen that play out before, there was still a lot of interesting elements at play with regards to um, the different tributes and just Tom Blythe's uh, role and everything as Snow, as the mentor to Lucy Gray. Um, I, I just found their relationship to be, as it evolved, all the more fascinating. And then all of this goodwill that I feel like the movie had built up for me. And I looked at my watch and I was like, okay, this has to be ending, right? Like we're getting, like, like we're coming to the end of the, of the movie. And I remembered the length of this film and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on a second now. There's a whole third act stretch. What, what's going to happen throughout the rest of this movie? Turns out that to me was actually the worst stretch of the film. And it actually undid a lot of the goodwill that had been built up for me now. So I left this movie feeling a little bit more mixed than I wanted to be, but I still have to admit that I enjoyed the overall experience. I, I, I enjoyed 
the drama of it all. I enjoyed uh, seeing this world get expanded upon and so many supporting actor uh, performances here, too, from uh, really, really great actors like Jason Schwartzman and Peter Dinklage, Viola Davis really just helped to add more. Um, I actually think across the board, the entire cast is pretty uh, fantastic here. And I, I want to start off with that. I want to start off with the casting itself, because there's no Jennifer Lawrence, who was obviously a huge plus for those original films for a lot of people. And we have Tom Blythe here, who's playing Coriolanus Snow. Now, some might look at him and think, oh, to Lauren's point, I really don't want to sympathize with this character. I don't want to really follow along with this character's journey so much. And prior to this, I would say, what, the only thing we really saw him in prior to this was Benediction, and that's kind of really it, so... What do you guys think of how that character was portrayed by him and how he was as a lead to kind of bring us along this character's journey? Did you find him to be a captivating enough presence to hold the film on his own? Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. I did, uh, for the most part. I, I think that my major problem is I think the character itself, as I said, there's a lot going on there. And I do think the second half really sort of flattens out some of the more interesting avenues that they could take with him. And I really just believe that it's because they're trying to cram in a whole other movie's worth of plot into the last, you know, 45 minutes of this of this particular film. But I did like his performance. I do think that he is somebody that obviously is coming from a background where he is trying to climb himself up in the society. And then once he does, he becomes poisoned by it. And like not a particularly innovative character arc, but I do think one that is still engaging. And I think that his performance really does capture a lot of those nuances they do dissipate, I think, as the movie goes on, and that is unfortunate. But as I said, I think that is more of a fault of the writing rather than Blight's performance, who I think does a really good job of kind of capturing this really in, uh, intriguing screen presence. It's just a shame that the actual writing kind of lets him down as the movie goes on. And I think another area where the writing kind of lets him down a little bit, too, is that the movie wants us to get invested in this blossoming love story between him and Lucy Gray. But what I actually found to be more interesting to follow was this bromance between him and Josh Andreas Rivera, who plays uh, Sejanus. And that was actually, as the movie went on, the two relationships like flopped for me, where at first I was invested in Snow and Lucy Gray's story, but then as the movie progressed... Snow and Sejanus' story actually became more interesting while the Lucy Gray plotline really started to lose me, especially in that third act. 
Yeah, I get that. That's, um, you know, this, even though this is, you know, dystopia, this also is young adult. So I knew this, a romance was going to happen. And I don't think the performances are bad, it's particular with Blight. I enjoyed his performance. I'm kind of agree with Josh. It's just the writing of the character that never made sense with me. It was very hard for me to see this as a young President Snow. And I understand Blight had a massive challenge to be compared to that type of character and the performances that were given in those original films. But to see him kind of be wishy-washy and where he stands, where he was all for the Capitol, and then he was also going against the Capitol, so kind of siding with Sir Janice and then kind of not at the same time, and being with him and then against him, that was confusing for me to believe that this is someone who becomes, you know, the biggest, you know, authoritarian figure of this world. So that never made sense with me, and I could never buy that this character became someone like President Snow. 100% agreed. I think the movie did such a good job of making him a interesting, likable character to follow that by the end of the movie, it feels like they've come forward, they've given him like a new look and he has like this vibe about him that screams, oh, I'm evil now. And it's like, I don't think we successfully fully got there and it just feels very rushed at that point. Um, and that I don't, I don't, I don't lay that at the feet of Tom Blythe so much. I, I just lay that at the feet of the direction and the screenplay. The mm-hmm. screenplay not having enough connective tissue to make that arc feel so complete, and the direction and how, like I was saying earlier, I, I think the pacing of this movie is all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and so by the time we get to that third act, I I was starting to feel, and I think I turned to you, Lauren. I said. Um, uh, at the end of the film when it was over that something sh- something else should have happened in that third act to push him over the edge in a way that would convince us that he would eventually become the character that we would see later. Instead, it feels like maybe, and I, I hope this is not true, it feels like there's maybe potentially a second movie coming to fill in those gaps even more later and it won't be based on a book. I hope that's not true, but also at the same time, it does feel like there's a lot of information still kind of missing from me for it to fully make sense. Yeah, I get that. And I know the overall theme that Collins has always used in the story, that it's not really about the individual, it's more about the society. And I think that theme is very successful in the original trilogy, especially within Mockingjay. And I think that adaptation is successful in the franchise films. And I, I see that motif in this film, but I just don't think that is adapted as successfully in this film as it was in the original franchise, because I do understand that it is, you know, the ideology of Pan Am and the Capitol that taints the person. But this is, but, you know, this is the face of it. This is the guy who really does take control over everything. And I just never saw that need for control and then need for corruption and to make people suffer and you know the enjoyment of that i just never got to that place that was present in the original films that like again it never made sense that this character became this incredibly evil man i think everything once they reach the cabin in the third act 
is where I started to get confused even with the plotting motivations. Um, did Lucy Gray ever love him to begin with? Like th- th- these were things that maybe the, maybe the ambiguity is intentional, but it wasn't satisfying for me as a viewer. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there are a few moments um, earlier in the film, especially the moment where uh, Lucy Gray says something along the lines of, uh, if there's any person in the world you can trust, it's me. And it kind of felt like a wink to the audience of, oh, you can't trust her. So when that kind of, uh, I guess, the breakdown of the relationship happened in the cabin, I was very confused about her motivation because it didn't seem as if she suspected him of any betrayal kind of prior to that moment. It just sort of came out of nowhere and it didn't make sense. So the character of Lucy Gray, I I do think is also one that is extremely compelling um, for a multitude of different reasons. Um, One, especially because she just has this um, presence about her that makes her a star for the people of Pan Am uh, that makes her stand out within the Hunger Games a lot. And, um, this is good, obviously, for Snow, who is um, mentoring her and will come into what, – what, what is it exactly? It's like um, a scholarship with prize money that he's that he's after, right, if I remember correctly? Yeah, so the, something yeah, like the, that. The essential plot is that the Hunger Games are tanking in terms of quality and viewership. The people right. don't really like it. So they're pairing the top 24 students with the tributes and whoever is – to introduce this mentorship program mm-hmm. and who – Whoever is the most successful mentor um, gets the full right scholarship to the college, I believe. Right. And this is something that his family needs, which is also another quality that makes us like Snow because his motivations are pure. He wants to help his family. But Lucy Gray, what I found fascinating about her is that she actually does not like have like any real combat experience whatsoever or never does anything from a physical standpoint to actually win in the Hunger Games, she kind of (laughs) just hides and runs and yet we're so drawn to her because she has musical talent. (laughs) I was like, I was thinking to myself, this character should not work. She shouldn't work for me as a viewer. Um, But she did because, I mean, one, Rachel Zegler, I think, is just extremely talented as a musician, as a singer, um, just as a pure talent in general. Uh, But also at the same time, I was kind of laughing at how all these other uh, participants within the Hunger Games were using weapons and brutally murdering each other. And there's Lucy Gray just like hiding somewhere, just kind of waiting it out. And I was thinking, you know what? Not a bad strategy. Like, just let everyone kill each other, and maybe by some deus ex machina, you'll somehow survive all this. Well, she's not a fighter. I mean, she yeah. she is a performer. And right. this is what's – the interesting thing about her character, at least within the context of this series, is that this is sort of the point where The Hunger Games becomes more than just watching kids kill each other, that it is right. actually about – a, a sense of of showmanship and you cast somebody like Rachel Zegler, she's going to bring that. I do think it was a little silly at times how they kind of manufactured ways for her to sing. <laughs> it really felt like we just need her to sing at some point because that's why we hired her. And I don't know if that was always presented in the most uh, elegant fashion. It did seem <laughs> a little bit awkwardly forced in there at times, but as we have said, like Rachel Zegler is a really great actress. She has a, a lot of great screen presence. I think 
I think our chemistry with Tom Blythe could be a little better at some points, but I think they do the best with the material that they have. But yeah, she is such a captivating screen presence, even if I think the character at times is a little awkwardly conceived in some points. I love the when in doubt, just saying strategy. Um, it, it's funny, <laughs> but um, that's what's kind of cool about this character is that she essentially breaks the games and is the reason it becomes this, you know, television show, this program, as Josh said, this form of entertainment. So that was really um, interesting to me as a fan of both the books and the movies is to see the birth of, I don't have to be, you know, this trained like warrior as, you know, we see other tributes are in the later years I just have to be likable I have to get the audience to care about me and to see both um Lucy Gray and Cornelius understand that idea and understand the power of that was really um fascinating just to see that idea birthed what'd you guys think of the Appalachian accent it was I didn't know accent. that was a thing until <laughs> she started speaking I was like oh okay because I for some reason I never picked it up in the trailers I guess I wasn't paying attention I don't think she spoke much in the trailers, to be honest with you. I think she was always singing or <laughs> staring dramatically at something. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it did take me by surprise. Um, I did I did feel the accent was a little wobbly and maybe to Josh's point, giving her this kind of uh, background from where she came from. And maybe that somehow informs how she's, you know, musically inclined and she's able to you know play at these uh gatherings with the guitar and stuff i maybe it's all supposed to inform who she is but then again i kind of see it from josh's point of view which is and i don't know because i haven't read the book right i don't know if this is something that is specific to the book but it did also just kind of like tie into hey we want rachel zegler to play this type of song on the guitar and it, we need her to come from this like region with this dialect, and it, like it just kind of all seemed like it was forced to me. And the movie didn't actually need it, but I'm not gonna say she did a terrible job with it. Um, I will just say it was a choice, and I found myself sometimes being taken out of the movie by it a little bit because I don't know if she, in terms of her theater kid energy, was a was a correct match for that choice, if that makes sense. I think there was something maybe a little bit jarring about the performance at first. I think she's incredibly talented and I think she was really great in this film. Um, but I think we as an audience are used to Katniss at the centre of these films, who is a much more kind of reserved and internal character, whereas uh, Lucy Gray is so extroverted and so warm and she understands that um how to give a performance uh, to my English is I don't know if the accent work was any good or not. Um, huh. But yeah, at first it did shock me a little bit. I, I did enjoy the performance overall. I think she was maybe let down by the writing of the character because I guess I don't really know anything about her outside of Coriolanus. She only exists within that relationship in the film. And that's another thing too, is that, by the time I feel like we get to the third act in the movie, I almost don't know with regards to that character, how much of it is a performance, how much of it is real and genuine. And I understand that's kind of the point, And that's what kind of drives snow to madness in a way too, because he really does care about this person. 
and he's left wondering if she ever really cared about him. It's something that I think could have worked in the film's favor, but it seemed to backfire on me the more the film went along. And once again, no fault of her own. I think Rachel Zegler did the best that she could with the material that she was given. Um, And I'm especially happy for her that she was able to go through this production and press tour with her uh, real-life boyfriend, (laughs) who I think actually... um, Josh Andreas uh, Rivera, I, I think he might give my favorite performance in the entire movie, actually. I did like him quite a bit. I, I did. Um, I just think once again, like, especially that second act, like that character makes decisions that I just don't understand. Like, no. Are you that naive that once you get into, like, working for the Capitol, that atrocities wouldn't happen or that you wouldn't be looked at as like a, a problem and things would blow out of proportion. It just, I could not really get past how dumb he got in that second half. It was so, so baffling, but yes, I did really like the nuance that they were going for. I liked the, uh, the inner conflict that that character was working through. And I think his performance really matches that. Well, I was just so frustrated with the journey that that character eventually went through. And I just, unfortunately, I just really thought that the arc that they traced for him was just really unbelievable. Like, I I just could not buy into how stupid he became towards the end of the film. I completely agree. And I'm actually going to take back something that I said before, because this just slipped my mind was all. Um, I think my actual real favorite performance in the movie is actually Viola Davis, who is having so much fun. She's having so much fun. She (laughs) used that Shakespearean theater technique to the fullest, and I loved every single second of it. Every line delivery, every scene, I was like, girl, you are slaying right now. You are <laughs> chomping into this material, tearing it up. She is just playing evil to a T, and it is delightful to watch. The person who was sitting next to me kept uh, whispering to the person that he was with, oh, she's so scary. Every single time she was on screen, <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, you could just tell she's really relishing in the opportunity to play someone that to Lauren's point, like kind of has like that evil Shakespearean energy about her. And it's a mode that we don't really get to see Viola Davis play that often, you know, to just really kind of go for it in a over the top villain role. And yeah, she just is chewing every inch of that scenery, but you love it. She's, she's great in it. I mean, it's, it's a very fun performance. Nothing that I would rank as like, obviously like one of the best in her career. It's nothing like that, but it's just very, very fun to watch her be just so unabashedly evil. I was very let down by Dinklage in this movie. Yeah. Probably the worst performance in the movie. It it just seemed very lazy to me. What, what he was going for with this. He's also barely there. Like he's pure exposition and um, he's not given much to do. No, I don't think so. And then like the moments where he was drinking, I was like, oh, if uh, Tyrion Lannister was boring, this is what it would be like. (laughs) And like, that's what's like kind of weird to me is that I don't know if this is like a spoiler, but like he's uh, to have people in the capital that create the games to be against the games it doesn't make sense to me as a viewer and someone who has been in this world and really knows that how the capital views themselves and views the districts. And we're, we all, even though not everyone is so into the games currently, we're still seeing that, um, 
we're still seeing the um, contrast where people of the capital do think they're better than the districts and they do find some enjoyment into dehumanizing people from the district. So to see, you know, those juxtapositions of ideas um, was jarring to me. Yeah, there's like a third, uh, maybe not third act, maybe it was second act. I can't remember exactly, but there was like a reveal about that character um, with regards to his connection to uh, Snow's father that just rang incredibly hollow to me and seemingly came out of nowhere and didn't really, in my opinion, once again, like make sense given the way that that character had been presented up until that moment and just seemingly came out of nowhere for me. So... Yeah, I was I was pretty let down by it overall. Um, but maybe the best casting choice in this entire movie, and I know we kind of all said it when the trailers came out too, was uh, Jason Schwartzman as uh, Lucky Flickerman, who is channeling Stanley Tucci ener- energy here. And I really, really loved every time he was on screen. Uh, I mean, just entertaining to watch. Not, not like so much in the way of nuance or um, having to convey um, a character that, you know, contributes that much to the plot but entertaining yeah just he absolutely was uh the character that my audience responded to the most in terms of the comedy and as you said it's not like he's clearing a very high bar with this character but it is just a very amusing presence that he brings he has a lot of like one-liner clips or quips that happen like just out of nowhere even in the background somewhere that if you catch her are rather humorous and yeah he has a very nice comedic energy to him that fits well within the tone of what Tucci was going for. And you can sort of see once again, like the Genesis of what the hunger games would become later. And with the host of them and, and how that personality would shift throughout the years, it's a really interesting way to watch the origin point of, of that kind of a character. Yeah. That section of the film is by far the strongest for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about that. Yeah. I mean, the drones that don't work was a great little touch that I particularly enjoyed throughout even the reveal of the stakes, which I don't want to like say particularly like the how behind it, because I don't want to like reveal spoilers for people, but there was a lot of elements like within that second act that I found to be massively entertaining and fun to follow. Yeah. Everything with the hunger games, I think is the best part of this movie. And it really reminds you of how like, I feel like, uh, especially with Francis Lawrence, one thing that he really figured out that I don't think the first movie did very well was that he could present these action spectacles with a lot of kinetic energy that was very engaging and something I don't think the first film did very well. I don't think that first movie is particularly well shot, but I think Lawrence was able to crack the code there and he does the same here and i think especially with everything in the hunger games especially when it will then kind of switch to that imax format i I do think that those sequences are very compelling and that that is definitely the strongest section of the film yeah this was a case where the imax visuals i thought did a lot to impact my overall experience of watching the movie and i can't really imagine watching this movie without the IMAX, to be honest with you. Uh, but I agree that I think that Francis Lawrence in particular with his direction of these movies has gotten better in terms of um, his choices as a visual storyteller as they've gone on. And I think that level of scale uh, was something that I really, really responded to uh, during this film in particular. You know, it's been a couple of years since the Mockingjay films, right? And audience tastes have changed 
And I think he, as a director, has also evolved a bit, too, that to see the level of uh, scale with which he was presenting uh, these action sequences on really were exhilarating uh, for me and something that... I, you know, like, is this like Harry Potter level for me? No, it's not. But I, I could see how, I don't want to say given with more films because it's like, how, how much further are they going to take this series? But it, it just feels like everything is starting to like really come into its own for me as far as the visual presentation of this world. Um, Josh, I kind of like, I don't want to like review the first film necessarily, but I like the grittiness of the first film quite a bit. And I think that was because I was so taken aback by how violent the movie was when I first saw it the first time. Um, but, you know, these movies are still, you know, they're not rated R. They're PG-13. They have to convey their violence uh, for a mass audience, but also still be horrific in a way to allow for the deeper themes to settle in. And so I think, you know, in terms of the way that at least the killings and the way the action was presented here in that second act in this film. Um, I never found it cheesy. I never had a moment where it like completely pulled me out of the movie. And I just credit that, like I said, to Francis Lawrence, just, I think getting better with each uh, subsequent film in terms of how he stages each of these uh, sequences. I think it's done best here for the entire franchise. And it's, funny like i know we shouldn't compare films but you know within catching fire it makes sense for it to be more of a, a spectacle a spectacle because all of those um tributes know what they're doing essentially mm-hmm. whereas in this film you really see the chaos of it you know these you these are essentially a bunch of kids that don't know what they're doing and they're just terrified and they want to make it to the next day and to have lucy as our focal point who is also again very terrified she is lost she doesn't know what she's doing you really feel that fear and that intensity and just wanting to run away where everything is kind of confusing and dangerous and shocking at once so i think you know that cornucopia scene or the what becomes you know the genesis of a cornucopia scene is really effective where something like that scene in the first hunger games we don't really get that intensity and that fear and that danger as quickly as we do here. Did you guys uh, like the little subtle hints uh, to Katniss? No. <laughs> okay. No, I didn't. Okay. I Because I, I thought those were incredibly forced as well. And I found myself like rolling my eyes. Uh, I, I can, if you want to make the argument to me, that this informs why Snow hates Katniss in the original films so much is because she reminds him of Lucy Gray. I could buy that a little bit. Katniss is nothing like Lucy Gray. Like I said, a little bit. (laughs) I would say she's more like PETA, where PETA knows how to win an audience over and he can connect to people. I would say the person that would remind Snow of Katniss is Sir Janus. Mm-hmm. Who is much more, you know, angry, rebellious, wants peace and wants things to stop. Where PETA knows how to manipulate, essentially, and knows how to charm a crowd. So I would say those are more, you know, the parallels. I get it. She's a woman from District 12. But I think they're opposite characters, personally. That's how I saw it, at least. Okay, so Francis Lawrence has said, in retrospect 
that splitting up Mockingjay was a mistake. Now, people are saying with 157-minute runtime for this movie that this should have been split. Where do you think the common middle ground is here? Because I'm of the belief that the most successful way to have told this story, I think, in a satisfying manner would have been a three, four part. No, let's say four or five part like miniseries. Um, but what do you guys think? To me, it definitely feels like there's enough material to expand it into a miniseries. But I, I do also feel like another movie would have done justice as well because we really do get a very hard pivot within this narrative where Mm -hmm. we're in the capital we're dealing with the hunger games and the creation of that and then we're in district 12 and and Coriolanus is with the troops and he's becoming you know a, a more hardened person in terms of how he looks at the world and it just feels like because there is such a hard direct uh line drawn between just like not only the setting, but the tone and the characterizations, it just feels like we have entered a completely different type of movie in yep. that second part. Yeah. And that's where my frustration is. Cause it just feels like we're on one wavelength and then suddenly we're introduced to a whole new section. And I don't think the movie has done anything at all to establish that section to feel like it's a natural flow within this narrative. And it just, to me felt like, they had two scripts that they tried to make into one, and I found that to be very frustrating. Yeah, it's a very big tonal shift. Um, this is a 530-page book. It's a lot of story. There's a lot of story in this movie. And it. I think the first two and the last third have a huge shivet, um, pivot. And you again, it is distinct. You don't feel the connection to it at all so I feel like if we did divide it I think there's enough story for a 90 minute two hour film or as you said a miniseries that could establish you know why President Snow gets so jaded and so hearted and just wants to control the entire country I don't think that was done effectively in you know that final third act yeah I mean the film actually has like chapter pages I think it's split into four parts, maybe. So I really do think it could have just been a four-episode miniseries, and then we could have had the actual character development that we wanted, because it just, I think the first half was great, and then I just lost all concept of, you know, how how much time has passed, where are the where are the characters at, how long have they been going through this? It it didn't quite add up, and I felt myself getting really lost in the story, not in a good way. Yeah. And I get um, Lawrence's like PTSD over splitting Mockingjay. I get that he is very anti-splitting books up. And while I enjoyed, you know, going to District 12 in this film and seeing, you know, the early days of it, I think that's the most, I think that's mostly like fan service-y, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like everything before that makes sense for the actual narrative and makes sense for the film and the characters themselves. But when we're back in District 12, just kind of living, that's where I think this is becoming, oh, this is the prequel of the franchise. Our original protagonist was from this place. Let's go back to this place just to remind people of Katniss and of that original story. Okay, so what I want to do now is I do want to get to final thoughts here for... The Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, Kitty, we can start off with you first. Do you have anything uh, that you want to mention that we haven't already mentioned or something you want to reiterate? Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. 
Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. I guess I want to reiterate the um, world building and how great it is because it really does give you a sense of before the story we're so familiar with. You know, we can see the capital kind of in its infancy and recovering from wartime and how even the, the styling of the characters has changed so much in the Hunger Games from this point. You know, we see in, in the Hunger Games films, the original ones, we see people who have had crazy surgery on their faces um, to make themselves look different from people. Whereas in this film, we see that actually they are kind of just people who have also been through this wartime. And I really appreciated that. I also really wanted more from Hunter Schaefer's character. I really mm. enjoyed her performance. And I think, you know, she got a couple of moments where she really was able to uh, do some do a great performance. But I, I wanted more of the relationship between her and her cousin. Yeah, if I remember correctly, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, it's been a while since I uh, saw this film. Uh, that was her in the prologue with him as kids, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree with you in that sense. Like, if you're going to establish early on that it's those two characters together, um, I think that there could have been a little bit more to deepen that relationship. But then again, I, it's like, <laughs> man, I really don't want to be the one here standing and defending that this movie should have been longer than what it is. <laughs> you know? But at the same time, I, I think that that is... I think that that is um, worthy enough of a reason to fill in some gaps that seem to be missing here just with regards to Snow's character arc throughout. I think it does the bare minimum. And Hunter Schaefer is still very early in her career. Um, most people will know her from Euphoria, uh, but as far as an on-screen presence in film goes, this is actually her first film credit. So... It's okay if she's not the, you know, one of the leads of the movie necessarily, but I understand that she has a very, very big following and people want to see her do well. So I think she's on her way uh, with that. So I didn't find it to be necessarily like a true loss, but also at the same time, I did want more. Anything else, Katie? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered pretty... Oh, actually, I did want to say, um, I think this film, to me, we touched briefly on it earlier, this film felt like it had a little bit more of a um, younger target demographic. I think the original films and the books, they were, I think people forget quite how adult they were mm -hmm. and how they dealt with, um, you know, PTSD and even delved into things like how um, victors from the games were kind of forced into prostitution rings. And this film felt a little bit more remedial in the sense that like I didn't get any 
sense of how the games actually impacted the victors because Lucy Gray after she wins she she just kind of goes on singing again yeah I felt a little bit disappointed by yeah that lack of depth that was like so great in the original stories I completely agree with you on that but I also think too part of that could just be the storytellers understanding through the reception to the first four films who the target audience for this movie actually is now and just doing their best to try to cater to that yeah, I guess so. No, but I agree. I wish that was, you know, touched upon more. Um, even I think in the film adaptations, they don't really talk about, you know, the aftermath of, you know, the victors and how it really affects them physically and mentally. And like that was a big part of the books that they just cut. So I, I don't know how um, Lucy was affected in the book or if she was affected, but she does seem pretty fine as if nothing happened. And I wish we got to explore, you know, the aftermath of, you know, both the tributes and these mentors, too, because they also showed distress during the games as well and see how that changed them and how that affected them. Yeah, because some of them are treating them uh, as below human and just as a means to an end to obtain, obtain their goal, while others might actually be formulating strong bonds with them and get connected to them. So. There's different reactions, I think, that you see throughout when one of them uh, ends up getting killed within the games. And so all this is interesting and worth exploring. I, I just think this world is so incredibly rich and it opens itself up to so many possibilities that I really do believe we're at a point now with this uh, franchise where the only real place to truly explore this material in a more um, profound and deeper way would be through a series on say Netflix or something along those lines, something that would have the budget to be able to allow this series to maintain its identity and still have these expansive visuals, uh, but also give it the breathing room to allow for um, a deeper dive into this world. I, I, I'm not saying it has to be, like I said, based on a book necessarily. It would be better if it was, I think probably for everybody involved, but also at the same time, I could see down the road, that might be where we're heading next. Uh, Lauren, final thoughts? Um, yeah, I know this has been kind of a harsh review, but I really did um, enjoy this film as a whole. I really loved the world building, as we said. Um, I love coming back to this world and seeing it feels like Pan Am. It feels like a very older version of it, So, to, which I really love and really do credit to the direction and the production design of it. It feels like the world we know but it also feels like it is you know like 60 years before it so i love you know how that was done with you know the costumes and with the production design where i see you know the bare bones of you know district 12 in the capital and the games themselves and i i believe that this is you know in the past of this world so that was really fun we kind of talked about you know that imax ratio change i loved seeing that again that was one of the little me like watching that watching catching fire for the first time and seeing that um aspect ratio change was amazing so to have that again slightly more subtle but still there um was a really nice token i really enjoyed that and i think um lawrence really um does a great job of showing how the capital really dehumanizes the people of the districts, particularly the tributes. And I thought that was 
really well done and executed pretty well because it's completely different from how we see them in the franchise in the original films where these tributes are just herded like animals. They aren't given food. They're in the same clothes that they were reaped in. So they're really much just like these animals that are kind of starved and then thrown into this um, enclosed space with nothing there but a few spears. So you really get that feeling. And I think that really, you know, harkens to how the capital treats them and how much changes within the game. So I loved seeing, it's tough to watch, but I really love, you know, that um, juxtaposition of how, you know, they were originally treated and then how they're slowly going to become more spectacles instead of just animals or just tributes, essentially. Yeah. And um, yeah, I also, and I know I also love um the use of the Mockingjays. Oh. I thought that was a good, you know, tie-in. Like the way how they would, um like during the hanging scene and. Yeah, because, oh. um or, yeah, originally they were used for the original war. So it would make sense before they were gathered up that they would just be roaming around. So um, the fact that they are roaming around and are used essentially still. And the reason why th- they take them as President Snow, he takes all of them. So I love the use of um, the Mockingjays and why he hates them and why they can be used still as a weapon. And I think that was a really good tie in between this film and the franchise itself. All right. Josh Parham, how about you? Um, I think at the end, I would just want to reiterate how much of a frustrating movie I found this to be. There are parts of it that I was rather engaged by. And I think that these actors have a lot of great uh, screen presence to them. I think that there are some sections of the story that kind of reveal some more complexities within this world and open up that perspective in a rather intriguing way. And I was more engaged by that. But at the same time, there's other parts of this that just feels like it's so underdeveloped. And I think especially towards the end when it, it was when it was more pronounced. And that's, you know, that's what you leave the movie with. And it just really felt to me like for as long as this movie is, it still weirdly feels like it has stuff missing from it. And it it feels like they had so many ideas and so many journeys that they wanted to tackle crammed into this thing that they couldn't really complete all of them in a satisfying way. And by the time I did get to the end of the movie, I just felt so unsatisfied with how those character arcs were traced. And it just left me with a pretty hollow feeling that for as much potential as this movie had to be more interesting to me, it just didn't really have the breathing room to do it. And again, I know that sounds weird for a two and a half hour movie, but that shows you how much story they tried to, in my opinion, cram into this thing. And it just really wasn't all that successful. So there are things in it that I think are that are more captivating, but the whole is definitely to me less than the sum of its parts. All right. Um, for my final thoughts here, I was going to mention, uh, the mocking Jay birds. That was a pretty, that was a good call out there, Lauren. I found that to be pretty haunting, uh, especially like I said, during that hanging scene and just hearing the cries, uh, continue over and over again. Uh, that was some really good stuff. I thought, um, I want to stress again, how much I really love the cinematography of this movie. I loved the, uh, changing aspect ratios, uh, were a part of it again. 
and I really love the sense of scale of this movie. Production design is highlighted greatly as a result of that. There's a real verticality to uh, some of these shots that allow for the production design to really stand out in a way that I just think it benefits from seeing this on a big screen. And the costume design remains absolutely stellar throughout. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. On a character level, uh, going back to what we were saying earlier, I do think that the screenplay definitely fails nearly every single character to some degree or another, and it all comes together in that third act where it just feels like the movie doesn't know necessarily where it wants to go or how it wants to get there. I mean, that's that's kind of a lie, actually. It knows it needs to end with Snow being set up as the villain for the rest of this franchise. But in terms of how it gets there, I think it's incredibly bumpy along the way and feels incredibly rushed. Um, I was really, really taken aback by how much I was into this movie and then how quickly my overall perception of it just seemed to just sink. With that said, going back to what I said earlier about my ratings for these movies, I still liked it enough barely and i mean like just barely enough to put plant this in the middle i would say it's better than the two mockingjay films but i still think the first two films are better than this so i'm gonna go with a extremely weak but yet still recommended six out of ten i i admire the epic scope of these movies i admire that they are trying to get at something in terms of their themes and what they're about in a meaningful way yes there is a ya like love story at its center that doesn't really work for me in this movie so much but it's not grating it's not annoying it's not um dumb <laughs> the same way that certain things like i said before you know comparing this maybe to like the twilight series where i'm like my god this dialogue this acting is atrocious at least there's like a real attempt here to create something that has an impact on people emotionally and can provide an experience that is worth watching in the theater so for those reasons i i give it a six out of ten lauren what about you I'm a solid seven. I really um, enjoy this world. I'm so glad we're back in it. Um, I It's probably on my lower rank of the entire Hunger Games world. And I would say the characters are not as um, interesting or strong as, you know, the characters from, you know, the Catching Fire and Hunger Games films. But I really do. I love being back. I love how... Um, serious these artists take themselves in these films you know sometimes with young adult films they do as you say dumb it down a bit and this is really um impressive work across the board where younger audience members can enjoy it because you know the story is young adult but i think older audiences will also appreciate the craftsmanship as well i think they're solid films and again i'm glad this is here i'm really glad that i'm Suzanne Collins still playing with this world. And I'm glad that I'm someone like Frances Lawrence, who really does understand um, her world, is adapting her work. So I'm going to give it a seven. I do enjoy it as a whole. Katie? I think I give this a solid six. I think if the film had continued as it started, it probably would have been an eight. But I think it really lets itself down in the final act. I do still think it's got really strong performances and great world building and great crafts, but I can't get over the kind of narrative 
difficulties it goes through. So a strong six. Yeah, I think if it had continued on that trajectory, I too would have been seven, maybe eight territory as well. I agree with you. Josh, where where are you landing with all of this? (laughs) I am going to land at a five out of ten, which to me, it really is reflective of how much like I was sort of enjoying that first part. I don't think I was enjoying it quite as much as maybe you guys were, but I, I was into it enough. But it just really nosedived in like that last act for me. And it it was just so unbelievably frustrating and annoying that these characters that I was sort of invested in in the beginning just really kind of the, the more interesting aspects of them were flattened down. And yeah, they started making really, really dumb decisions. And like even Coriolanus was getting dumb. That whole thing with the guns was unfathomable to me. <laughs> Baffling. And also even with Snow, it's like he even makes decisions that have consequences where I was like, did you not expect that that was going to happen? Why are you surprised? Like what? what is uh, – it was, it was very strange and that was very um, – as I said, very annoying and underwhelming in terms of me getting involved in this movie. So I I don't outright hate it, but I have enough significant problems with it that I can't really outright recommend it either. Okay, so in terms of the film's Oscar potential, Can't Catch Me Now? Olivia Rodrigo? What do we think? I I gotta be honest with you, I don't remember the song at all. (laughs) No, it's an end credit song, so... Uh, I mean, this is a franchise that the Oscars have never touched, so I don't know why they would do it now. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's in contention in some of those categories, like song, maybe for costumes, just because that is a weird branch. But as I said, if they haven't done it at this point, I don't know why this would be the movie to suddenly make them switch. It would need to have been the best of the franchise to have, I think, turned that perception around. And I think based on the reception that it's received so far, it's clear that it's not. So I'm in agreement with you, Josh. In fact, I'm actually still to this day kind of baffled that this movie never got a costume design nomination. I remember thinking for sure that it would. Uh, but alas, you know, here we are still all this time later. And this uh, entire franchise has never received a single uh, nomination. But I'll tell you this, though. I expect the Golden Globes to go for this in song because they have, I think, done that, what, twice now? I mean, it's essentially a musical, so might as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Let me see. Hold on a second. I got I to gotta see the Golden Globes, how many times they've done. Okay, the Golden Globes have only gone for this once. Uh, that was for the Taylor Swift song, Safe and Sound. Yeah. Okay. I thought they had done it like m- more times than that. but And it makes sense for that first movie that they were going to nominate Taylor oh, Swift. Oh, wait a minute. Nope. I, I lied. Coldplay, Atlas, also was nominated for Catching Fire. Oh, God, that's right. Hold on, wait a minute. No, Mocking Jay, Lord, Yellow Flickerbeat. I... Wait, tell me that the fourth movie also got a Golden Globe nomination. No, it didn't. Okay, so three Golden Globe nominations for song. <laughs> Cute. So that might happen. Yeah, I mean, they the Golden Globes love their pop stars doing original songs for popular movies. So, uh, yeah, but I don't think that's going to translate to an Oscar nomination at all. No, because like no. to your point earlier, if it was a possibility, it probably would have happened by now. Yeah, they, the, the Academy just doesn't seem to like this franchise very much. Yeah, it's kind of like with the Harry Potter franchise. They never really gave it that much love either. They gave it like nominations love, but like just barely. Barely, like not really. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, looking back on on retro in retrospective, like the Harry Potter franchise definitely deserved mm-hmm. more. Yeah, I think in general, award shows don't ever really go for young adult fiction, um, even in categories where they definitely deserve recognition. So I I, I don't think this is really happening. It, if it happens at the Golden Globes, great, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have faith in it. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Rachel Zegler. You'll have to wait for that first nomination at some point or another. Which will be Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> It is really funny. I was looking at the soundtrack for this album. She contributed to almost every single song on this soundtrack. No, when I say Lucy Gray Bird's strategy is when in doubt, just sing. I so mean that. Like, that's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, the theater kids win here. And so, good for her. All right. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Katie, thank you so much for joining us here for this review. Really, really appreciate having you here with us. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me on X at Katie Does Films. Oh, the first person, I think, who has said X without hesitation. I know I was debating it, but yeah, I just went for it. <laughs> Lauren LaMagna, how about you? Where can they find you on the Internet? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Josh Parm. Uh, yeah, we still see Twitter around here <laughs> for the <laughs> most part. So, uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at J.R. Parham. And you can find me everywhere at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For a $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening as always and we will see you all next time. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.